Uh, it was written by Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly, who also wrote a lot of other things, including uh, who wrote a lot of other things, but all yeah, yeah, yeah. written by Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly, who wrote this. I just said that. Jesus, what's wrong with me? Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Let's do it. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your old pal, Spearsy. And Brad in L.A. And today we round third base and head for home. It's the start of 1989 and the songs that got to number two on the charts, but no further. Wild thing! You make my heart sing. You walk everything. Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by... You want me to say the 80s cruise, don't you? You're dying. You want it. But to be honest, by the time you hear this episode, we'll probably already be at sea on the 2023 voyage. Right about now, I'm hanging with Jerry from Devo, sipping wine. Spearsy's down by the pool, participating in the belly flop contest with Howard Jones. Now there's a one-two punch you can't say no to. Stay tuned. Any day now, we'll have the official lineup announcement for the 2024 Voyage of the 80s Cruise, which returns to Florida next year and includes stops in Aruba and Curacao. I thought that was a drink ingredient. Anyway, keep your eye on the official website, www.the80scruise.com. Oh, it feels so good to be back in front of the microphone. It does seem like it's been a long time. A long time. I blame myself. I blame you too. I blame myself. So do I. Well, you were sick. You know, in all fairness, you were sick. I was sick. I had to go to New York, and th- there I sat in a conference room full of people, and half of us got this death cold thing. I'm just like, oh, it's not the tumor. It's not the COVID. <laughs> but we're all like testing. I think we used up all the stock of tests in the entire Eastern Seaboard. But it wasn't COVID. It wasn't. It was just a bad head cold. Okay. But now well, I got I- that out of my way. Now I'm a healthy man, ready for the cruise. Well, and, and while you were doing that, I was going through the big move from one end of town to another. So it's, you know, setting up modem, setting up Wi-Fi, setting up electricity, you know, unpacking a bajillion boxes. Finally got Steve on the good side of the tracks, guys. I'm so happy. <laughs> so we're here. Uh, get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, it's the moment we've all feared. The beloved Close But No Cigar series is finally, finally coming to an end. And I, I, I say that um, with with complete uh, remorse. I mean, it's been an amazing journey from, I think, what, 1976 to now yeah. 1989? It's, a, it's been a hell of a run. It's been nice to have uh, – Two things. One, I think it's been it's always nice to have something you're like, hey, we haven't done one of those in a while when we're kind of scuffling for show ideas. But two, we don't usually go in depth on a song. So I kind of have enjoyed the chance to just talk about like, hey, here's the guy who wrote that song and here's some of the yeah. other things they did. And and of course, 
let's talk about the video. <laughs> you love the videos. I do. It's important. It's the 80s. So, of course, 1989 isn't going to go easy. I think there are 17 songs yeah. that got to number two, but no further. Yeah, there's a lot so, going on. So I hope you cleared your calendar. This show is going to last four hours. Woohoo! Uh, no, we're going to break it into parts again. And it, this could take... It'll take three trips, I'd say. For sure. We're going to do four songs today, two each. And uh, let's go ahead and get this party started. It's so awkward. I feel I feel dirty just saying it. <laughs> uh, here's one from Taylor Dane from 1989. That's Don't Rush Me, which on January 21st got to number two in the charts. It was the fourth single from her debut album, Tell It To My Heart. Uh, She did not write it. Alexander Forbes wrote the song with Jeff Franzel, who's probably better known in the world of jazz as a a pianist and a composer. They wanted to become, I mean, Forbes wanted to become a pop star, but she found her groove more as a songwriter. Okay. And um, for both of them... Uh, Don't Rush Me was like the, the early big success in their careers. So, like I said, it reached number two. It was Taylor Dane's highest charting single at the time. Brad, can you name uh, which song of hers charted higher than this? Um, no. No? You're not going to even guess that it might be that title of well, the album. Well, okay. It's Tell It To My Heart. Okay. It's not. It's not? Oh, damn. <laughs> That's the, probably the one Taylor Dane song I could name. No, it's Love Will Lead You Back. Oh, yeah. I don't know. That, that reached number one. I, uh, Tell It To My Heart was like number four or number six. Really? She had, That's a peppy little number right there. You'd think that her signature tune. She had a Tell It To My Heart, Prove Your Love, I'll Always Love You, and Don't Rush Me. With every beat of my heart, Love Will Lead You Back, and I'll Be Your Shelter were all top 10 mm. hits, all in a row. Yeah, just like, she's just like hit machine, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you see her on the cruise when she played the 80s cruise a few years ago? It's funny you would bring that up. This is my one Taylor Dane story. Okay, two Taylor Dane stories. One, I'm standing at baggage claim with Katie, and I find the lady who's holding the 80s cruise clipboard, and I go to basically try and talk my way onto the bus. Because that was, it wasn't really clear for a few years there whether or not we got talent ride to the hotel or we just got to stay at the talent hotel. So you know, I, I got pretty good at schmoozing our onto our way onto the bus. But who's standing there waiting to talk to her? While I'm talking to her is Taylor Dane, who's about two and a half feet tall. She's teeny. <laughs> She's teeny, and I'm like, she is. and I, I look and I saw her there, and I'm like, oh, take care of her. She's way more important. <laughs> did you say that really? I did. I did. And and then because it's true. Look. Who the hell am I? The other story, though, I did see her, but I didn't hear much of her because I was talking with some people at the concert, and I won't name names out of respect, but someone came back to us. We're sitting at like a, a cafe table kind of at the back of the, the Studio B area, and was like, do you guys mind keeping it down a little bit? We're trying to watch the show, and I can barely hear her singing. I'm like, oh, shit. 
<laughs> yeah. It was funny. We laughed, and then we quieted so, down. So Taylor Dane played the first night of that year, which must have been 2020. I think it was 2020. Yes, yeah, so. so she was a last second uh, replacement. She told it to her heart. She she was in front of us when when she when we were all boarding. So that's how I know how how short she is. She's very short. And then we were at the concert that night. Me and the wife. Me and the future wife. Spoiler alert there. And I had the <laughs> I had the engagement ring in my pocket at that that's show. Right. Oh, that was, was the big, that was the like the seventies like seventies New Year to the eighties. I don't remember yeah. what. It was. It was the last night of. It was like nineteen seventy nine. Last December thirty first. So I had the I had the ring in my pocket in a in its case, which was like size of like a small Rubik's cube. And so I'm trying to sort of disguise the fact that I have it there. And but we're watching Taylor Dane, and I'm like, you know, I've got a, f- a couple hours to figure out. Okay, I'm I'm going to propose. And I started, <laughs> I started losing it a little bit. I got caught up in the moment. And I and later on, uh, Melissa would tell me that she she looked over to me. She's like, "Wow, I didn't know that he was <laughs> that emotional over Taylor Dane." <laughs> well, you know, we're dealing with a lot of stuff out here, man. Oh, <laughs> anyway, that's, that's uh, great. You might think that the song is about trying to slow down a potential lover, but in fact, uh, the songwriters had said. That it was related to AIDS. They had had a lot of friends who had had passed away due to uh, due to AIDS, and to them, it was a song about p- people having one night stands and becoming uh, sexual without being careful. Mm. And, and so um, that's more. It's more of a. It was meant by the the writers as more of a cautionary, sad tale than a uh, anthem towards uh, you know. <laughs> whatever Taylor Dane had in mind. But they're going to call it Cool Your Jets? But that just <laughs> Something work. like that. Um, apparently, Taylor Dane, when she first sang it, it was only meant to be a demo hmm. so that it could be pitched to other artists. She didn't have a recording deal at the time. And then Tell It To My Heart came out, became a huge hit, and then Clive Davis basically said, oh, we need an album ASAP. And so she, What do you got? What do you got? Oh, I got uh, Don't Rush Me. <laughs> and, Perfect. So there we go. You might be asking about this time. What song kept uh, Don't Rush Me Out of the Charts? Possibly could keep that juggernaut out of the top of the charts. This song by Phil Collins. Two hearts. Now, this is <laughs> played a lot on the radio. A lot of radio play. But did you know it's from the soundtrack to the movie Buster? I'm pretty sure I did know that from the video. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever seen this movie. No, nobody did. <laughs> it reached number one in the U.S. and Canada. Um, it was written for Buster in it. Phil Collins plays a, a former train robber, Buster Edwards. The film was, as I uh, sort of told you, it was a Buster at the box office. <laughs> <laughs> so which do you think came first? Do you think they came to Phil Collins and said, hey, we want you to do a couple songs for this movie? And he's like, oh, I want to act in it. Or did they say, hey, we want you to act in this movie? He's like, hey, I'll sing a couple songs for it. 
Yeah, with Phil, it could be either way. Yeah, I don't really go with the second choice. I'm going to say that they wanted him to act because he had a career. I mean, right. he had he had some film credits up before this point, so it's not completely unheard of for him to to be in a movie, but just not to be any successful one. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, of course, this would actually go on to win a Grammy for best song written for a motion picture. So there you go. <laughs> really? What was it up against? <laughs> I'll tell you who else was nominated. Whitney Houston for One Moment in Time, which was off the um, Summer Olympic album. <laughs> How the, that's kind of a stretch. Like, it's a okay. good song, though. And then uh, Kokomo by the Beach Boys oh, from Cocktail. You know what? Phil Collins, treasure that, treasure that trophy that you kept it out of Mike Love's hands. <laughs> okay. Full marks What's first for on your list? What's first on your list? <laughs> first on my list is this lovely track from Miss Sheena Easton. That's the lover in me, Steve, which I know you've never heard me say to you in person or remotely. That's how I'm able to sleep at night. I know, right? It's the title track and the lead single from Sheena Easton's ninth studio album. She had released an album nine times before this. Nine times? I don't remember her releasing nine (laughs) albums. Because she probably didn't actually do it. Oh! This was in the top 40 for 14 weeks in early 1989. It was number two in the charts for one glorious shining week, the week of March 4th. It's her second biggest hit on the charts. What might her biggest hit be, Stephen Q. Spears? I'm surviving right now on, on green tea and Gatorade. Morning trained. Oh, what a good guess. Yes. (laughs) So the kind of brackets. So she had Morning Train was the number one in like 1981. And then uh, The Lover and Me, number two in 1989. She had seven other top 10 hits in the 80s. So, you know, hey, not bad. I have to say, when I went to listen to this song, no recollection. No recollection until we get to the chorus. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, that, that sounds familiar. I do recognize this. But this kind of gets back to a conversation we were having. Like, I wasn't listening to Top 40 Radio at the time. I was... March, in March, 89. March, 89, senior year. I was like, am I going to have a job? What's going on? That's it. Yeah. Spending all my time... I wasn't listening to the radio. I was listening to The Cure. (laughs) Yeah. Sufficiently mopey songs to... to, Exactly. To uh, accent our job search. To uh, usher in our adult life. It was coming at us like a freight train. Like, why am I in such a hurry here? Anyway, that's a whole other podcast. This is called in various reviews a comeback album, which I thought was a little strange until I looked at her chart history. She really hadn't, I mean, she'd had a top 10 in 85 with Sugar Walls, but nothing in the top, I guess she had one song in the top 40 between that and this, so it had been a bit of a dry spell for for Sheena. So this is a little more of an R&B sound to the album. I couldn't name another song on it, but this was a hit for her. Sorry, that's damning it with faint praise. Oh, I know, but I mean, again, context is king. Yeah. Not content, context. But I mean, I think Sheena Easton's star shone the brightest in the early 80s. But. You know what I always thought about her? I mean, is that 
she just she was kind of a little all over the place. Morning train is I don't know how kind what, of doo-woppy. And, yeah, and, you've and got then sugar for walls your eyes is, only, and then sugar walls, and yeah, just what do you want to be? What kind of I mean? What it just didn't hold on to one genre. You never knew what you were going to get any given album with her, Joe or any Jackson given song. <laughs> Maybe to yeah. some degree. You know what I want to do now, Steve? Let's talk about the video. The video opens, and it's a lot of really tight shots, and there's some guy with this old you know, collapsing camera thing with the bulbs that come out of the flash, taking pictures that are, some of it's in black and white, some of it's color, very, very artsy. And it's not clear whether you're in the locker room of a gym or if you're in a bar, but there's a guy like just ripped guy doing bicep curls and checking girls out as they walk by. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's just America, the world. Just kind of a weird opening. And then suddenly, no, it's a bar. They're in a bar and Sheena and her posse of backup singers and dancers just kind of just normal performance video. It's kind of sad, honestly, what happened to videos in the last part of the 80s. I know that makes me sound like an even older man than I actually am, but all the joy and like crazy ideas were gone from videos. They had become a pure promotional device at that point. You're really bumming me out tonight. You are really bringing me over, man. Sorry, man. I got something for you, though. What would you say that Sheena Easton's most famous TV performance was? It's a show that you love. It's a show that Chase Squires loves. Oh, well, that makes it easy. It's Miami Vice then. Right. She did five episodes as Five Caitlin episodes. Five, five episodes. episodes. But her most recent TV credit that I could find, which I'll admit to a not exhaustive search, but I did do a search, she played... Dr. Doofenshmirtz's girlfriend on one episode of Phineas and Ferb. Now it's my no evil scheme. And I'm as happy as can be. It's the age old story how an evil boy meets an evil girl. We gotta love strong enough to rule the whole wide world. I've never seen that. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) This TV show is hilarious. I won't torture you all with my Dr. Doofenshmirtz voice, but it is, that is a great piece of television. Uh, Who kept it out of the top spot? Moving on. Yeah. Kept out of the top spot by another solo female artist. Well, that's pretty much everybody in the late The movies. 80s Cruise alum, Debbie ah. Gibson, singing Lost in Your Eyes. Oh, Debbie, Young Love. This is your Debbie Gibson entry in the piano ballad category. Number one for three weeks, which is three more weeks than I'll ever be number one. You, the thing you have to give it up to Debbie for, um, because now you can call her Debbie and not Deborah anymore, she wrote her own stuff, which yeah. at the time was pretty rare. Yeah. Written, performed, and produced. Nice. By See? Her, by herself. Yeah. yeah no, nothing but respect. Full, full marks. Full marks. Absolutely. She had two number one songs in her, in the 80s. I mean, you know, she's still doing stuff. She could have another one. Um, this, this, Lost in Her Eyes, but what was the other one, Steve? Was it, um, 
Is that Electric Beat or something like that? Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you half credit for that. It's Foolish Beat from her debut Blue. album, Midnight Blue, something like that. I, I would have no guessed idea. only in my dreams because that's the only other song I could probably think of if I had to for Debbie Gibson. When we interviewed her, what always happens when we interview someone, and I interviewed her like probably thirteen years ago. The week that someone's on the show, like I, I buy like the greatest hits CD back when you could mm-hmm. do that, just listen to it nonstop to the point where you're just kind of like, okay, I'm you know I'm into it, I get it, I you know, understand the artist, blah blah blah. Fun interview. I, I hope I'd love to talk to her again someday. Yeah. Um, briefly, we'll discuss the video. This was shot in a phase when women of a certain age, also known as teenagers, were sometimes wearing hats that were maybe like the shape of a boater hat, but it was set way back on their head. Ladies, I have a question. How on earth do you keep your hat on like that? Bobby pins. Uh, really? It doesn't yeah. seem like that would be sufficient. I figure there's some kind of hat glue going on there that I don't know about. Uh, anyway, save us, save us from this. Don't send me boxes of hat glue if it really exists. I don't. I don't yeah. Those days of the podcast yeah, just, are over. Take them, yes, take them to the, take them to the barber and sell them outside. Steve, save us from this cul-de-sac. What was your other song? This okay, I've got a good story with this one too. My next one is uh, uh, this tune by our friend Tone Loke, who will be on the next uh, '80s cruise. Wild thing. Hmm. Before we get into it, let me just say that. So we moved into the new house, and so we have we had relatives over last weekend. It was the first time that my whole family had come over to Orlando. Usually, oh, wow. I, I go over to Tampa Bay. For, yeah. Um, but it was the wife's birthday and my aunt's birthday, and they all said, "Well, we'll come over and see your new house." So I, I had said, "Okay, you know what we're going to do? We haven't done karaoke. We have a karaoke machine here at the house." And a lot of times we break it out on the weekends, but it, but it's been a while. And so I thought, well, you know, cocktails and karaoke and, and family dinners, what could go it's wrong? It's a natural combination. So it was like around 9.30 or 10 on Saturday night, and I fire up the karaoke machine, and I'm like, I, I'm going to – and I always do Tone Loke, uh, Funky Cold Medina. And apparently people were aghast. Really? <laughs> it, did not, it did not go over well. Huh. I, I, I don't think that they were prepared for the lyrics. <laughs> mm, you didn't do the radio edit? Uh, no. And um, <laughs> so after that, I mean, like, it was just, it was, it was stone silence after that. And I'm not touching that microphone. <laughs> my, my uncle, who's only about eight years older than me, nine years older than me, picked up the microphone and saved us all by doing uh, Kenny Rogers, uh, The Gambler. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. So the question on everyone's mind right now, since you mentioned Tone Loke's going to be on the cruise, then you mentioned karaoke, are you going to recreate your performance on the cruise? I don't mind doing karaoke on the cruise, and I, I suspect it might happen, but there's no way after my after falling flat on my face this weekend, I'm not doing it. You've got to get key. back on the horse, dude. you got to get back there on the horse. There's something about it. Like when I do it, when I did it before, I could remember the lyrics. You can't lose that love and feeling. No, I lost it. <laughs> 
So it was, whoa, it was something else. Whoa, anyway, whoa. I, I'm glad it wasn't filmed. There is video footage of me singing it like a year ago. You can pry that out of the phone of, of the wife. That's rad. Tell us about Tone Loke. <laughs> it's a wild thing. It's from his 1989 album, obviously. Uh, Loked After Dark. <laughs> and apparently apparently the title comes from... The lyrics themselves are inspired by the movie She's Gotta Have It. When Fab Five Freddy says, Come on, baby, let's do the wild thing. And after that, ba-boom, lightning... Light bulb goes off, fireflies are caught in a jar, whatever whatever weird phrase you want to use. <laughs> but the big thing that everyone remembers, obviously, uh, uncredited sample of Van Halen's Jamie's Crying is in it. Now, rumor has it that they asked for a flat fee of $5,000. Uh, <laughs> apparently, it was provided without consulting the other band members. Oh, dear. And, uh, of course, nobody thinks it's going to become a major hit, so no one's upset at first until it becomes a major hit. And then there was a civil lawsuit that was settled out of court. The rumor is that Van Halen got $180,000. Well, I mean, that's better than a poking the eye of the sharp stick. But. There you go. Pretty fun. Exciting. That's good So stuff. exciting that Weird Al did a parody of it, by the way. That's right. Have you ever heard it? I have. It's, it's a Gil- it's a Gil- Gilligan's Island parody. It goes like this. Watching all night must have been a marathon. I was bumming. Those shows kept coming. Here's what was going on. These castaways were stranded on this island out at sea. One of them called Gilligan, so let's name it after me. He'd mess up every rescue. Man, that first mate was illin'. If I was one of them castaways, I think I'd probably kill him. Just about that time... Telephone began to ring. She said, just let it, my machine will get it. We're watching the Gilligan's Owl thing. Owl thing. Ah, Weird Owl. I liked it when you did parodies instead of trying to perform your original material in concert. Salty, salty man. Ah, man, still, that was a lot of money. I I got you. Anyway, kept out of the charts by a familiar name. Uh, Here's Paula Abdul with Straight Up. Remember 1989 was like the year of Paula Abdul. God, I was just thinking that same thing. I'm like, she could do no wrong. I loved her videos. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to dance. Okay, yeah, she was, she was good looking. Yeah. This was like, I think, the, the third single off that album. Like, everything became such a huge hit off that album. I mean, but a lot of it, thanks to, uh, you know, MTV. Yeah. She got her first Grammy nomination for this. I think it was one of six nominations she got like for music videos that year. I mean, she just she ran that year. It was her yeah, it was a it was a big year. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Okay. What's your last pick? My last pick. It's not really my pick. It's the charts pick. And look, people, I know some of you've been listening to this podcast for a lot of years, and I don't think we've ever said more than five words about this band. But here it comes. Get ready. I'm gonna drop it like it's hot. Milli Vanilli. Girl, you know it's true. Uh. Oh, oh, oh. I love you. Yes, you know it's true. 
You knew it was going to come up eventually, Steve. You always, you always, Rob on Stuck in the 80s. <laughs> you, you, sometimes you like to ask, or sometimes we get like questions in, like what, what song comes on a radio that makes you turn off immediately or change the channel? This is one of the ones for me. Uh, you know what? It, I've come around on it a little bit. You're looking at me like I'm some kind of space well, alien. I'm just saying I, I, I let it play now. I let the Millie and the Vanilli play. I feel bad for these guys, honestly. Like, let's talk a little bit about the Millie Vanilli scandal. In the cold, hard light of 2023, let me just say it. These guys got screwed. They got f***ing screwed. The music industry set them up, put them in a position where there was no, there was never a win for them. There was no positive ending available to them. And then the second it looked like it was going to go a little sideways, they yanked the carpet out from under them so hard, they broke all their teeth when their faces hit the ground. End of rant. Vivid. <laughs> I, what, I mean, what do you think? Am I am I just yeah, am I no, coming out too hot there, or what? No, no. <laughs> in 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 modern day pers- with modern day perspective, they they got screwed. But at the time, you're like these bastards. How could they do this to us? <laughs> it's just that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Anyway, so this is the lead single from their debut album. It went to number two, and all the other singles on the album went to number one. These guys are it. I smell a new artist, Grammy. Yay! Uh-oh. Another fun fact I learned just today, this song is a cover. Yeah. Before Millie and Vanilli got to it, uh, Girl You Know It's True was a European dance club hit uh, recorded by a Maryland-based band called The New Marks was uh, released in 87, and it was popular with the Germans in the Dieter's Dance Party. That's all the time we have on Sprockets. My name is Dieter. Auf Wiedersehen. At the time, Cashbox, when it was released, the Milli Vanilli version, Cashbox called it an average quasi-rap that goes nowhere. Fair Au enough. contraire, Cashbox. <laughs> Au contraire. Any other year in the 80s, I don't think these songs cracked the top 20. Um, yeah. I, not in the first half. <laughs> Not enough country. <laughs> yeah, I, I rem- cause here's the thing: is I remember 1989. I'm not trying to be a bastard about the year, but it's again context. We were getting out of college. We were getting jobs. So like our, our college years were behind us. Our, our 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 years of youth seemed long gone. And I, I remember the the album that I remember from that year. The only album I remember from that year was the soundtrack to When Harry Met Sally because it had um. Harry Connick Jr. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And, and I liked hearing the old standards, you know, and, and, and I was just like, okay, it's time for me to be an adult and listen to adult music. And so I think for a large part, that is why I am kind of dismissive of music of 1989. That's interesting. So I, it's funny you would say that. 1989, I just pulled up a list, and I would say the album that I connected with the most that was released in 1989 would be Disintegration by The Cure. Yeah, I mean, I was still oh, listening to it, but I was trying so to. It's so good. <laughs> I figured out, at that point, I almost had to turn my Oingo Boingo albums in for Harry Connick Jr. albums. Oh, no, don't, don't, don't rush it, man. Don't hurry. It'll, but, you can uh, listen to both. Don't rush me. Oh, gosh, I did that, didn't I? Wow, what a callback. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's talk very briefly about the video. Uh, not much to say. Again, the 1989 was not a great time for, for music videos. Um, Fab and Rob, sorry, lip sync 
on a stage. And then there's some footage of them wandering around probably Germany since they're from Germany. I don't know. Anyway, it was just not a good time for videos. You don't need to go watch this one. So you we'll might be it wondering, so what we'll could keep this we'll out? out? What kept it Let's out? Let's talk about this song. Tell me. Tell uh, here, I'm just going to play a little bit. Do you feel a You just That's, needed a couple of notes, didn't you? And your your whole perspective has changed. Yes, oh, thank you. Susanna thank you for Hoss saving singing to me. Thank you for saving this for last. Oof. Eternal Flame by the Bangles. This is their second number one. What was their first number one, Steve? It's gotta be walk like an Egyptian, right? Correct. Full marks. It was written by Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly. A pretty famous songwriting duo. They also wrote Like a Virgin for Your Favorite Madonna, Alone for Heart, and yes, I touched myself for the Divinals. Did you see the photo of Madonna at the Grammys? No, and I don't want to. Um, The title of this song, I'm just going to ignore you. The title of this song is inspired by A Visit to Graceland, where there is an eternal flame burning in the Garden of Memories. Like Susanna Hoffs, and I think it was Billy Steinberg were there together, and she said that would be a good song title, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we should do that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So here's a fun fact: if you weren't already, you know, on the Susanna Hoffs Express, which I am, get this: she was naked when she recorded the vocal for this song. Naked. Yes. Uh, the album's producer David Sigerson convinced her that Olivia Newton-John got her amazing performances by recording everything naked. That's not true, is it? That's not, it can't be true. Susanna said in a 2021 interview with The Guardian, quote, I imagined it would feel like skinny dipping, vulnerable yet freeing, and I decided to try it. Nobody could see me, there was a baffle in front of me, and it was dark. After the first song went so well, I became superstitious about it, like in sports where you have to have your rabbit's foot. And I ended up compelled to skinny dip my way through most of the album, including Eternal Flame. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that does sound like the kind of thing that's like, you know, she was naked when she recorded that. Yeah. You could totally hear it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's, about. what are you going to do? I'm going to listen extra close next time. <laughs> like, like, why? <laughs> yeah, I just, I, that's, that's the sort of, I can't call it journalism. I can't even call it reporting. I just, this, that's the kind of heavy hitting facts we bring you here at Stuck in the 80s. The video, yeah. Again, it's a lot of soft focus of Susanna Hoff singing, and yes, I will watch that a few times. It's a beautiful song. It just is a beautiful song. You know what else can be a beautiful song? The sound of the Saggies. Hey, it's time to play a TV party tonight. We'll play a snippet of a TV show from the 80s. If you get it right, you're entered into the drawing for the postal-friendly bottle opener. Wow, I can't got, I believe I got through that in one take. Hmm. I draw this time apart. Some things you just don't forget. Because you know what I wear when I record podcasts, right? <laughs> Nothing at There's all. There's a reason we keep the camera off. Actually, I have a Hoodoo Guru shirt on right now, just so you, in case you're oh. wondering. Cast your mind back to episode 653, and here was the mystery clip. Listen to the floor, to the end of the 
That's the theme to Hardcastle and McCormick. Isn't that a brand of spices? Yeah, I was trying to find a spice joke in there someplace, but I couldn't get it. The spice must flow. I did not watch this show. I did have a Hardcastle McCormick t-shirt that somebody sent me once. (laughs) I I wore that out, believe it or not. Okay, so we had some winners. You bet we did. We have smart listeners. Here it comes. You ready? Yeah, fire away. Okay, here we go. Winners this week include Tom Corn in Austria. Carlos, who is lost in Pennsylvania, Larry in Maryland, and Cincinnati Joe. Good job, squad. Yeah. I guess it was a little difficult. Uh, Anyway, spin the wheel. Okay, here we go. It's been very hard. There you go. Well done. Looks like it's going to land on, oh, Larry in Maryland. Uh, Larry, email us your postal address. We'll get something out to you soon. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's Mystery TV theme song clip. If you know it, email us at podcast at sits.com. Did I say that too fast? Podcast at sits.com. And tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. Ah, it's time for listener mailbag. It's been nice to, to get some mail again. Yeah. Got a nice one from a patron even the other day. I don't know if you saw it from uh, Andrew basically asking, you guys okay? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, but that hasn't changed. I got like five boxes waiting to unpack them, you know, themselves later tonight after this is over with. They won't unpack themselves. Yeah. You can't just tip them over onto the ground. and then it's You unpacked. can. I don't recommend this approach. This letter comes from, oh, Kevin and Chilliwack. Is it, here we go again with the Chilliwack, Chilliwack, Chilliwack. Chilliwack. I'm going to say Chilliwack. Okay. Well, Chilliwack. Okay. Here we uh, go. Go ahead. Are you ready? Yeah. Kevin writes, keep up the great work. Still excited when I see the next episode pop up on the feed. Loving the Close But No Cigar series, but sad it is almost out of years. So are we, Kevin. Hmm. Looking forward to your examining 40-year-old albums this year. For me, 1983 is the golden year of new releases. Cargo, Men at Work, The Hurting, Tears for Fears, Seven and the Ragged Tiger from Duran Duran, True from Spandau Ballet, Pyromania from Def Leppard, Synchronicity from The Police, Speaking in Tongues from Talking Heads, Touch from the Rhythmics, She's So Unusual, City Lopper, Madonna, Cuts Like a Knife, Brian Adams, that might be a Canadian thing more. The list goes on and 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 on with Bowie and Culture Club and Lionel Richie and ZZ Top and uh, there might even have been a Devo album that year. I'm not sure. Uh, Shout, I think, is 83. Anyway. Oh, but here, Steve, here's where the letter takes a dramatic twist. Please, please tell me now. Please, please tell me now. It's a PPTMN. Hey. Kevin continues, my PPTMN, we hear the big hits of the 80s a ton on classic hits radio. Grocery store music, Spotify playlists, etc. Are there any albums that you love to listen to, but maybe you skip the big hit due to overkill slash overexposure? Hmm, interesting. Three for me are 
Aha, Hunting High and Low, Brian Adams, Reckless, and Duran Duran's Rio. I love Take On Me, Summer 69, and Hungry Like the Wolf, but they're always teetering on the edge of being overplayed. However, all three albums are deep. Deep, I say. And I love them front to back without the hit. Synchronicity is an honorable mention. Great album, but I have to skip Every Breath You Take and Mother. Mother is such crap. Kevin, you're wrong. (laughs) Are you serious? I I think I may be the only person. My son and I are probably the only people who actually like that song. That's fine. I mean, I don't want it played at my funeral or anything. It's going to make me start talking like Luke Gossett Jr. in Enemy Mine. Ah, (laughs) to hell with your Mickey Mouse. (laughs) (laughs) He concludes, Uh, once again, thanks for the great shows. Kevin in Chilliwack. Okay, okay. I have a good answer for this one. Two, two, actually. Oh, Awesome. Um, the, the first Duran Duran album, I skipped Girls on Film. I don't know why that song is so beloved. I find it tedious at best. Ooh, wow, tedious. That's Harsh. the worst thing. Worst thing you can say. Yeah, to say that about a about popping that's that's like dropping an anvil on someone's head. I love. I it. I just don't like it. They, you know, I mean, if I knew ahead of time. Oh, by the way, I have tickets to see Duran Duran in Tampa this summer. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. They, you know, they still do such a great show. Yeah, but as soon as they play that song, I'm going to go get a beer. <laughs> so. You never know. You don't know what the old stuff they're going to play. They right? almost the always, almost always play that song. I mean, that always makes the, the set list. Mm. Um, that and Wild Boys, which I could also skip. Yeah, I don't need to hear Weird Boys. And I don't really need to hear View to a Kill either. I don't think they did it when I saw them with my son. Duh. I, I tell you, that'd be a fun podcast topic. Is like coming up with the perfect set list for a for a band, or the or the no set list. Like I never want to hear this live. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> like I love this artist, but I never need to hear this song. God, I'm trying <clears throat> to think. Anyway, okay, uh, ACDC uh, on the Back in Black album. I, I skip Hell's Bells. I, I just I just heard it enough times now. Really? Huh. I mean, that it's just little, sets the tone for the whole thing. Yeah, it's plotting. Is it tedious? <laughs> it's not, no, it's plotting. Tedious okay. is... Plotting is you've got to work to be tedious. Um, oh, my gosh, What about, what about you, Brad? What, what are, i, I got to tell you, I'm having a hard time coming up with an answer to this because I'm, I'm... You know me. I'm really kind of weird sometimes about music and how I, how I consume it. Like, when yeah. I make mixtapes, when I make mixtapes, I get give people very strong instructions. Do not shuffle this mix. Ooh. I built it in this order for you to listen to. And I, okay. I bring that mo- most of the time, bring that when I listen to albums, I listen to them in order and I listen to the whole thing. I, oh, I can't okay. really think of one that I skip tracks on. Wait, okay. So you have every Devo album, I imagine, right? Yeah. There's a few weird ones. I don't have like the but rarities w- collections. What album, stuff. what album does whip it? Come on. Well, that's on freedom of choice. Do you you don't skip whip it? No. God, I mean, I would think that someone who's such a huge diva. I mean, I would almost think that that song would be insulting by now. Mm, no, I mean it's it, it's in many ways it's a song that built an empire. Okay. You know, and the way that it became popular is really kind of kind of crazy because it's like some, I think it was a Florida DJ like who did a weekly tip sheet. And he's like, here's a, here's a track I heard that I think is really going to do something. It was not scheduled to be a single. Uh, I, so. I just, you know, okay. Well, no, I, I, Surprise. I, know, I, sat uh. down, I, mean, I sat here and kind of mentally ran through the albums that 
I will rattle off with some like, what are your 10 favorite albums of the eighties? And I, if I listen to them, I listen to them. Yeah. Weird. You know, the one album, the one album I I was trying to find, I was thinking about invisible touch with Genesis Mm, and I don't, I don't, I don't skip any song on that album. And I, I I don't skip invisible touch, even though it's probably as overplayed as any song. Steve only skips the Brazilian when he goes to the spa. (laughs) Yeah. Not always that. <laughs> I tell you, oh my gosh, sometime in the last couple of years, uh, my son was singing the praises of that song to him like, yeah, I've heard it. I lived in the dorms for a year when everybody with a Casio keyboard was out in the hallway trying to pick up girls by playing the... Love that song. I do too. Anyway. It's fantastic. If, if, if you guys out there have an album that uh, has a song that you have to skip on it, let us know by via email. It's uh, podcast at sit80s.com. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Do not answer your door during this commercial for the Burger King Cheeseburger Deluxe. It could be McDonald's trying to distract you. Telegram. They don't want you to know that the Cheeseburger Deluxe is the flame broiled burger for lighter appetites. They do anything to get your mind off this deluxe version of our regular burger with a lettuce and tomato combination their regular burger doesn't have. Uh, flowers. The Burger King Cheeseburger and Hamburger Deluxe. Don't be fooled by anything else. It's Grandma. And we're back. Just want to say a quick thanks to some of our new patrons. Uh, Michelle D., Mary Beth Dole. Am I pronouncing that right? Dow? Dole? Uh, and uh, Tammy Deaver or Dever. Because I ask every time, and I never remember the answer. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we love Tammy. We we we, ha- we love having her on the show. We're giving away copies of her trivia book at uh, on the '80s cruise to uh, trivia winners. So that'd be fun. Uh, meanwhile, the big news that happened since we last spoke is that the another, another class of uh, nominees has come out for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And sometimes we do a whole show on this, but. Um, we're not going to this year because for some reason this class doesn't seem all that inspiring. Uh, well, you know, I, I think I've made myself pretty clear on where I stand on the institution called the yeah, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. But, but I, I mean, it's newsworthy. It's interesting to talk about. And it's interesting to see who the artists are. I, I, I'm not going to read out the whole list. I'm just going to give you the, uh, yeah, you know what? I will. Here we go. <clears throat> nominees are not even, yeah, I guess these are nominees. These are not inductees. These are nominees on the ballot this year. The White Stripes. Warren Zevon, interesting. Cindy Lauper, sure. Kate Bush, you're welcome, Kate Bush. Stranger Things is very happy to have helped you with this. Cheryl Crow, Missy Elliott. Now, this is interesting. Combo Platter, Joy Division, New Order, interesting. Uh, Tribe Called Quest, Rage Against the Machine, interesting. The Spinners, George Michael, rest in peace. Willie Nelson, Iron Maiden, and Soundgarden. Willie Nelson, George Michael, Cindy Lauper, um, I'm Iron Maiden, but the rest I'm I'm not I'm not overly yeah. I mean, I, I'm, Joy Division, I'm, New Order, I, I like that they're nominated, but I don't I, I don't think they I don't think they they get in on the first nomination. I don't either. I it, I would say Willie Nelson's a mortal lock. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he's this year's Dolly Parton. Yeah, and then I would say, oh, I, Cindy Lauper. I think it's like fifty fifty for her. 
Yeah. I think George I mean, Michael is more of a 75% chance. George Michael seems like a, yeah, like he's getting the, oh, he's dead bounce on the ballot. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Oh, that, that, sound, that does sound terrible. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who makes it here. It and just, I'm not too just, worried about it. I Did you watch? I watched the induction ceremony for the last class. It was on HBO. Okay, yeah. And, and was it? to be honest, it's it, it's always worth watching them. Because they, they do a fantastic job, the video of like of kind of going through the history of each act and, and mm, have, okay. bringing in people who talk about their importance. It, I'm telling you, it, it can make the most, it can make people you've never heard of sound really interesting. So, and then of course, that was when Duran Duran announced that Andy Taylor was at stage four. That's right. Cancer. And I know he just came out in the last day or so and said, I, I think he's kind of come to grips with the idea that it, mm. I think he even called it a death sentence. So, oh boy, it's always interesting to see this come out. I mean, I like I said, no big surprises this year. I mean, I mean, Duran Duran was the big surprise last year. They finally, you know, and, and Pat Benatar and stuff like that. But I, I don't. I, I saw the list come out, and I was just like, eh, ham sandwich yeah. time. <laughs> I mean, what I remember from last year's go round was Diva was on the ballot again, and. They worked the room hard to get elected. Like I've never seen them do so much press. Yeah, uh, and it sort of it disappoints me work. that they're not. Yeah, it it, they're not even on this year's. So that's okay. I'm gonna bet they're not losing any sleep over it. I mean, I feel like this is one of those things, and I'm sure I've said something this this along these lines before. If you if you don't get in, whatever. If you get in, hey, cool, we're in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like finding hey. five bucks on the sidewalk. Hey, we hope you enjoyed part one of our 1989 Close But No Cigars. We will be back with more soon. Will they come before the next cruise? We do not know. We do not predict the future. <laughs> but We deal in we, the past. <laughs> wow. That could be a, a new shirt design. There you go. We do not predict the future. We deal in the past. Past. Stuck in the 80s. <laughs> Proper hard. Stick around though and find out who's going to be on the next cruise and what our next topic will be. And I know we've got some interviews coming up. It's going to be a fun ride in 2023. So until then, Brad and I remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And thanks for listening.